Hello and welcome to How to Save the World with myself, Tim Bant. And me, I'm Waveney Worth. This is a sustainability podcast. If you're a new listener here, kia ora, welcome. Come well, on uh, in. I love how you introduce it every time, like for people who have never, never tuned in before. This is a real thing from my radio days. You very know, you professional. Don't know who's a new listener. Uh, this is a podcast for people who want to live sustainably but don't know how yet. We're going to try and help. Yes, we're very good at that because we don't really know a whole bunch of stuff either. We're just, you know, trying to figure it out too. We have our little areas, but the thing that we do have is a bit of focus and a bit of time. So we do some research and figure things out, which is exactly what this episode is all about. Uh, we've got a Facebook group, or a page rather, facebook.com slash how to save the world. You should definitely go and click on it and, and like it. Uh, but from that page, we get some fantastic questions from the people who listen to the show. And we wanted to take a bit of time today to try and answer them. Yeah, we ran a competition a couple of months ago. Got heap, like way more questions that because it was a competition asking people to give us some questions. We've got heaps more than we thought we would. But also we've just had people messaging us and asking us to do special episodes, which we, we did the Waste of Energy one was one. That was our most requested one. Um, and it was great. I learned a lot, by the way. If you haven't listened to that episode, and based on the stats, you probably have. Phew, top ep. It's a good one. Um, and we're going to do, we're actually going to do a couple of other um, episodes based on your suggestions as well. Like, a surprising number of you are actually interested in legislation. <laughs> You're surprised by that? I'm surprised by that because I'm not myself particularly, but um, I get that it's really important. And um, there's, there's just so many pieces of legislation that could be in place that aren't or ones that are in place that could be more helpful. And there's a lot of things that are currently up for consultation as well. Mm-hmm. So we can get into that in the new year and other things. Um, but today we are going to have a look at a bit of a cluster of questions that have come through um, mostly around packaging and the roles that the government can play, businesses can play, and that us as consumers can play. But I do really want to sort of knit in a range of questions that you've asked. So I'm going to actually start with a random one that's got nothing to do with that. Okay, cool. Should I read it out? this, This is from Hamish, yeah? Yeah. Hamish has written to us with the following. According to Dr. Paul Hawken in the latest National Geographic, he has stated that the updated project drawdown solutions to climate change, regenerative agriculture will be number one. How can such a big problem, vis-a-vis agriculture, turn into such a big solution? Do you get it? Do you get the question, Tim? I do. It was very well explained in spite of my reading, my my stilted reading. So I checked out the Drawdown website, which for those of you who don't know, is a a website based on a book um, where Dr. Paul Hawken has looked at, basically he's brought together a huge amount of research from international scientists and researchers um, to look at how we can get this carbon that we've got in the air out of the air. So not looking at all these measures to stop putting it in the air, like flying less, but actually how we can get it out of the air cool. and, and get and to actually start doing something to mitigate climate change. That feels like something that's a bit of a moonshot but could do real you know, well, it's what we positive it's, damage. Yeah, it's I was going to say damage, but damage in a good way. Damage to the problem. Yeah. So, um, exactly, damage to the problem. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't see this because it sounds like Hamish has actually uh, had some more recent information from Dr. Paul Hawken. But I, from checking out the website, um, it isn't mentioned as the number one. I, strangely, the refrigerants are actually the number one thing that are mentioned. Freons. 
I don't know. There's that-, that weird gas. I don't really know that because of I think the last listener question set we did. Yeah, I right. did a bit of research yeah, when yeah. we banned. Oh, no, it was a good news episode oh, we did. Yeah, yeah, but, yes. Banned CFCs, yes, like in yes. hairsprays yeah, and yeah. fridges and stuff. Well, they're still knocking about as a bit of an issue. But mm. um, so I, it's really interesting that this, and so obvious actually, that this has been identified as, as a large contributor to how we can get carbon out of the atmosphere. And the short answer to this question, how can something, which essentially is question is, how can something that has been so harmful with agriculture turn into like the biggest solution that we have? Well, I the answer to that is just listen to the soil episode that we did. <laughs> that is a really good point. Yeah, because why talk about it again here when we did we did a really like it just but blew to, my mind. To recap a little bit from the soil episode, oh, should I tell you enough. what I remember? You did all the yeah, research. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I what listened. are your what's the take home that you've remembered? The big things that blew my mind were number one, the fact that how we farm at the moment in terms of tilling the soil on these huge industrial scales, like that very act is releasing an immense amount of carbon into the atmosphere. Um, so that that kind of blew my mind. It wasn't as a result of any complicated process down the road of agriculture or anything, but literally just upturning the soil all the time. That is releasing all this carbon up. And um, the other one was just, I don't really like have the fact around this, but just the idea of how um, powerful and different and useful and positive different farming methods can be. So uh, I've forgotten the term, but the diverse farming where you like... Like there's lots of terms, regenerative re- agriculture. Yeah. And is that the one where you kind of use plant solutions for instead of how people use Roundup at the moment, basically? You use mm-hmm. like combinations of different plants that keep out certain weeds and certain pests. Yeah. There's just heaps of solutions and that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So and... But the thing, yeah, the thing is, is that it's super simple. Yes. It's just a different way of doing something. A few tweaks, and instead of these, this huge amount of carbon being released by the soil, we completely flip it on its flip head, it. and it actually sequesters uh, carbon down into the soil to stay there. Yeah. And I know, uh, and we will do this episode at some point in the future, Fungi's got a big part to play in that as well. And I remember that from the movie that we saw. Uh, what is it called? 2040. 2040, that's right, yeah. Thanks to Ecotricity, actually. Yes, we, we went along that. to their screening. It was awesome. So um, definitely listen to that that episode. That is probably a very good, um, yeah, answer to that. Okay, Let's. what's the next question there? Sue has written to us, Wave. Sue says, how can we change people's way of disposing contaminated recycling in public recycling bins? At home, we're encouraged to rinse containers and bottles before putting them in the recycle bin. Perhaps people should be encouraged to take their recycling, i.e. takeaway containers, home to rinse clean. And it might pay to also put into that, like, why we have to do that. Oh, yeah, good call. Yeah. Um, if we put food... We have an ep on this as well. <laughs> <laughs> if we put stuff that's got food in it, uh, like contaminated pizza box or a takeaway tray or whatever... Um, into the recycling, then that is very likely to contaminate the recycling when it goes off to be reprocessed into something to the point where it's either so um, useless that no one can get any decent money for it, so it takes the viability, the economic viability out of recycling, or to the point where you can't actually use the product. 
So we get into this in our recycling episode. Luckily, we have covered this in depth in a previous episode as well. So lucky. We are, aren't we? And uh, at the what are the plants called again? Oh, the Materials Recovery Facilities. Thank you. The MRFs, MRFs, we call them in the trade. At the MRFs, they sort the different materials out and then they get bundled up. And as Wave just said, when there's like too high a level of contamination, it lowers the grade of that whole bundle of stuff. Mm. And so it either has to be used for like a lower quality recycling process or it potentially kind of gets sent to some country where it gets burned. Mm. Or, or taken to the landfill. Um, mm. And the other thing is that people work in those facilities. Because there's also, there's the MRFs, which are the, the big sort of industrial ones. Um, but there's also the community recycling facilities where it's you've got dozens of people involved just sorting things by hand and it's not particularly pleasant um, two day, two weeks in. So to Sue's question on yes. these public recycling bins. Well, right? I could feel the passion there from Sue. It's a pet hate, totally get it. Um, it's just like when people don't indicate around roundabouts, that gets me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, Tim, what do you think? Do you think that I could encourage you to take your recycling home with you when you're out. I don't know. I think it's a big call. I think it's a big ask. It's a big ask. I think we're just, we're not there yet. Um, Like if you had a, you know, those pizza places, for example, those take the total like food trucks and then like 20 metres or 10 metres away from them is this little bin and it's just, it's just always shoved full of pizza boxes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's like, are you really going to get anyone to take it home? Um, it's, it does seem like a big ask. But I guess the thing is, is that people are willing to make some changes. So I would just be starting with where they are willing to make those changes. It's just getting people to, it depends where you are on your journey, but getting people to take, like, for example, this is something I do. If I'm out and I get, say, a serviette, a used serviette, I will when I can, like if I've got a handbag or whatever, um, I will take it home with me and compost it because I know that it would go into the landfill and create the methane and leachate. So I've got a bit of sympathy for this because mm-hmm. I do it myself, but um, I just think that like the options are just pretty tricky. We could ask people to take things home and clean them. We could have a wash station by the bin, but I don't think that's ever going to happen either. But um, one thing actually that we can do in our current situation is just to encourage people to put contaminated stuff into the rubbish bin instead of the recycling. That's probably the easiest one there. Um, But there are more promising things in the pipeline. And the biggie here is uh, that that bottle return scheme that we've mentioned before, Mm. where we're going to soon be getting 10 to 20 cents, something like that, back for every container or bottle. In New Zealand. In New Zealand, yeah. And it's um, that will be a real incentive for people to take either take it home or for others to collect what's been discarded. Yeah. So I think we're going to, if we just hold tight, we'll see a bit of... Sue's asking the right question. Sue's got her head in the right space. But it, for that specific example of like, say, a, a pizza box or something, we need to be a bit realistic about what we can and can't achieve Sue's, right now. Sue's ahead of the game. Yeah, That's where Sue is. She's well out there. So maybe to Sue we can say... You obviously have the good knowledge on how this um, affects recycling and you can maybe um, form your tight little circle around you can do the right thing and tell those people who are in your your immediate friends and family circle 
how important it is for them to do the right thing. Yeah. I hate doing that myself. <laughs> I just role model stuff and, yeah, pick my battles. But, yeah, I mean, what a legend. What a total legend this woman is. Sorry we couldn't be more helpful, So It's just you've picked a really hard one. Public place recycling so fraught. Actually, you know what, Sue? If you keep listening to this episode, some of the other questions are bringing out some stuff that's in the pipeline that is actually quite hopeful, I think, that can really change the face of plastics in New Zealand. Good question. Tricky problem. We don't have all the answers. Angela has written to us, Wave. And Angela has asked, why is New Zealand so far behind in banning, in banning single-use plastics? What are, what are they waiting for? What are we waiting for? The research and the science is there, so why is it still legal? Do you think that's a rhetorical question? Because I'm actually going to treat it as a real one and talk about why New Zealand is so far behind in banning single-use plastics. Also, I wanted to say before we get into why we are so slow is that there is a lot happening. Um, yes, we're behind um, what, where we could be for sure, but this is the third time this year that the government's actually announced something right after we record, or in this case, since Angela's asked the question. Um, so the Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor has released a Thinking Plastics report in December 2019, a recent release, uh, and it's the first The first target will be moving away from single-use plastic packaging and beverage containers made from PVC and polystyrene. Reaction, please, Tim. I don't understand what that means in terms of, like, what's the actual change? Oh, I was They're waiting going to legislate for, like, for change. cheering and clapping. Um th- so yeah, so there's a there's a report that's been released saying that uh, it's not a target as such, but it's an intention that the government's singling, uh, signalling to move away from single use plastic packaging and beverage containers from two particularly difficult plastics, which is PVC and polystyrene. That is awesome. It is that's better. That is awesome. It is so awesome. So PVC's number three and polystyrene's number six with those little plastic recycling numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, They're the tricky ones, eh? Well, three to sevens really are all a bit tricky, but, and th- but those ones are particularly problematic. In terms of... They're not really great for our health. It's interesting that this aligns. They, they happen to be the ones that are very questionable for our health, uh, very difficult to meaningfully recycle um, and yeah i reckon and this is a little bit anecdotal but based on my experience there is some pretty exciting market-based solutions for this stuff as well because what we're seeing at the moment is such a huge amount of attention paid by the public by the consumers basically on more responsible companies in the space of um, ethical packaging things that can be easily um, disposed of or recycled in a meaningful way totally. without harm to the planet. Yeah. That's some really cool solutions are coming out of it, and particularly around like the serving of food. Um, people are looking to overseas. Southeast Asia use uh, certain kind of leaves to serve food in, and that sort of stuff is starting to trickle in um, to certain forward-looking companies, which will eventually become more and more mainstream. 
So at the same time that there's government attention being paid to this and them actually listening to the scientists and these reports that they're releasing around the difficulty around recycling these materials, there's a real desire driven from the bottom as well, not the yeah, top. Yeah, there really is. And it's so important. I guess that's kind of a message that we always say, eh, Tim, in this podcast is is that it's this it's a power yeah. that the consumers have that if we don't exercise it, nothing happens. Absolutely. But, but the same can be said for also the government and also the businesses. And in this case, we've got all three that are actually quite keen to make some changes. So if We can kind of apply pressure from both directions, from the top down yeah. in terms of trying to get the government to change the laws and pay attention to these things and legislate and then also support and uplift these companies that are making great decisions now. Yes, yeah, it's interesting. things are going to happen so much quicker. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm forever hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this report also, uh, so if you thought that was good, they're also looking at phasing out single-use plastic uh, for... Things, things that we have solution, quite easy solutions for, like plastic cutlery, cotton buds, and my pet hate, um, fruit stickers. Mm. So I can to- actually that is my equivalent, you know, with Sue talking about how much she hates this contamination in public place. That's for me, it's like I'm the lady at the supermarket just shaking your fist. An- anally with fury. taking off every sticker. I can't stand I them. I think the damage is done really well. Anyway, Angela, to answer your question, why so slow? I, I mean, who knows? But a couple of ideas. I've heard this before because New Zealand's relatively small, and also because our we're this sort of large scale farming sector is is relatively new. Very, in fact, very new. It's only like a hundred odd years old. Our soil is still relatively good and like it gets a hammering with the way we farm but it's we're only 100 years in we're not 500 years in and because of our relatively small population our natural resources have so far suffered less from the pressure of development than heaps of other places like we do go on about the state of our water and Mm. we've obviously got huge um, ecological diversity loss uh, but if you compare that to some places like the Middle East um, or various places in Africa, actually almost almost everywhere else in the world, it's just human occupation has just degraded the environment so much more to the point where people, to the point where we're hit, they're hitting real limits yeah. that, that are actually affecting people yeah. and it's visible and it's affecting people's quality of life. And here I think that we've been lagging internationally because it's, we can still ignore it. Right, but that'll get so much if you look at the kind of graph because everyone will flood into New Zealand because they go, oh, that's cool, and then we become the toilet yeah. of the world. The other thing is I suspect we might be victims of um, the government's clean green tourism campaigns where, and I know that particularly with our waterways, we sort of woke up to this reality about four or five years ago in a big public way, mm. but there has been a general perception that we've been sweet you know, and we're a pretty laid back set of people. So we're like, no, nah, no, nah, it's cool. We've yeah. got the ads up yeah. showing, showcasing how clean and green we are. So I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's all right. Yeah. And so the reality is probably quite disconnected with what, um, you know, just your average punter who doesn't think about these things too much has mm. in their head. Mm. The good news is that's changing. Um, the public perception is being more aligned to the reality of, of the trouble yeah, that we're that's having right. in New Zealand. That's right. And I guess that's, in fact, um, Colmar Brunton's done a poll where just, 
quite recent, well, in August 2019, where they found that 82% of New Zealanders wanted the plastic bag ban extended to other single-use plastics. So that's... We're talking to almost everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And another interesting thing is um, in terms of why the government's been so slow, I mean, you know, we've we've actually had this legislation around the um, WMA, which is the uh, Waste Minimisation Act, since 2008. So it's been over a decade that the government's had the power to um, be able to implement these changes Is that they're that now, right? yeah, they're, they're, they're just catching up with now. And so they sort of made a law that allowed them to make little laws under it. Basically, yes, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Um, and they've just very been sitting cool on piece that, of le- legislation. They've yeah. been sitting on that authority since 08. Yeah, that's right. And so they're just starting to kind of wake it up now. And it's why it's actually so easy for some of this stuff to change. Um, and that's also why we need to sort of think through it's great that so much is happening but we just need to really be mindful that this is a great opportunity not to sort of take anything for granted mm, this is yeah. this is literally a once in a decade thing that's happening right now with this all is of these, when you push this is exactly it's when you push um but um eugenie eugenie sage uh has also <laughs> she totally called it actually she said she, she's our associate minister for the environment yes that um, some people, this is this is her quote. Some people might wonder why we can't just ban problem plastics overnight. So, Angela, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I mean, I'm sure there's uh, a complex set of reasons, but she's highlighted that uh, one of the reasons that it's best to signal what is wanted and allow innovative businesses to give them some time to uh, take action, and also. She's highlighted that you can't push the alternatives uh, if the public isn't ready. So, in other words, she's saying that yes, not 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 to sort of excuse the last ten years, but in terms of where the government's at right now, is that they're signalling things. They're saying this is what we want, and then they're then they're stepping back. Obviously, you need to have the consultation around these things anyway. Um, but they're they're putting it out there to give us all that opportunity to catch up. I think that's savvy because uh, even though it might not be the answer that people like us in our lovely little comfortable bubble want to hear, you know, there's already flack that the government's getting from people who aren't um, as conscious or focused on these sorts of issues about how quickly the government is moving mm, in their minds mm, to, to mm, make these certain mm. moves. Well, I mean, if we, you get two in front of your skis, you yeah. lose public support yeah, and exactly. then you lose elections. It's a bit of a, it's, a it's exactly, it's a real dance. And there is, you know, there's been a, quite a bit of lobbying going on from the packa- packaging industry and all sorts going on. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, hope that helps, Angela. We have a question from Tomomi. I'm hoping that's how you pronounce it. Um, My apologies if it isn't. What is the next achievable slash realistic steps for businesses? I'm thinking e.g. supermarkets and or government after implementation of single-use plastic ban. Once I actually start looking around, I feel overwhelmed by all these plastic packets, even cucumbers wrapped in plastic. I feel like there there is something more that can be done, not just bringing our own shopping bags. What a legend. Um, thanks for your question, Tomomi. And firstly, this is awesome because it's exactly why industry lobby groups or associations were trying for a long time before it happened to avoid this ban on plastic bags because they knew that 
people like you are going to make that connection and go and then it's kind of like the beginning of the end because until that point there wasn't sort of any line drawn in the sand it's like oh it's all okay and now what we've got at the moment is this arbitrary distinction which is exactly what Tamomi's just recognized well hang on what's the difference and that's no she's not the only one so many people are saying this now I mean what's the difference why are we banging uh, why are we banning a bag and not you know and we're still leaving the supermarket with all this plastic packaging so also pretty so it was sort of like that was the point yeah it's just so exciting to see that people are connecting the dots um feels like the sun's setting on this whole madness we've had of the 20th century of just all this unquestioned use of single-use plastic mm. um and secondly her question that hits on the big three sectors she mentions the government she mentions she mentions businesses and us and just says surely more can be done so um and I also liked how she talked about achievable and realistic next steps. Um, so this time last year, uh, we had nothing really in New Zealand. Uh, and then within the last 12 months, this is my fly-by-night summary, in July we banned, this is to, uh, 2019, in July we banned the plastic bags. In August the government consulted on their proposal to introduce mandatory schemes for priority products, including a scheme for single-use plastic packaging. That's awesome. In September, the government announced funding of the design of a bottle buyback scheme, which is massive. In November, the government proposed to increase the landfill levy by up to $50 over the next three years. So that's from $10 a tonne up to $60 a tonne by 2023. That's Again, going to get people thinking about how much waste is taken. Massive, At the moment, it's more expensive to recycle the mattress. So therefore, people gotcha. put it in the landfill. Gotcha. And if this goes up from $10 a tonne to $60 a tonne, it means that it's the more expensive option is going to be to landfill things. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're not looking at, in most cases, technological barriers to recycling. It's just economic barriers. So the levy is really important. Um so that's exciting. And then in December, the Rethinking Plastics report came out, which is what we were just mentioning before, um, which is, again, another huge one looking at single-use plastic packaging, beverage containers made from number three and number six, um, yeah, and, and other things in there as well. So that's, re- that's huge in terms of what the government's doing um, or – consulting on right now mm-hmm. with, with plans to be doing stuff um then for businesses there's a lot as well going on uh, or in terms of next steps so one thing could be looking at redesigning packaging to exclude those problem plastics uh voluntary labeling so these are things that aren't in place yet, but wouldn't it be awesome if uh, some of these businesses who do care started putting on their packaging um, what it is and what you do with it? Right. This is how you dispose of this. Yes. This packaging. Yeah. Especially with the rise of bioplastics. Um, so I'm noticing in supermarkets now a lot of those fruit and vegetable bags, are, they say biodegradable on them. Mm-hmm. So my encouragement would be for businesses to, if they're going to use or any packaging, to put on it what it is and put the certification on if it's a bioplastic, because if it's not, then it's pretty meaningless. It's just more problematic. And tell people what to do with it. 
Kokako are good at that. Yeah, they're really good. They've got on their package, they've got, you can put, you, you cut the triangle out, which I think they might have solved. I'm not sure if they've solved it yet. Um, and that goes in the bin. The rest of it can go in your home compost. Yeah, it's awesome. And some of it, some, some packaging can actually be reused as well. So the report says, or actually it's an SBN, which is the Sustainable Business Network, have a report where they say that 20% of current problem plastics could actually be reused. So reused brought back to the Yes, so so yes, yes. Like like for example, switching from a plastic milk bottle to a glass bottle that goes back to a sterilization plant. What a futuristic solution to (laughs) milking. I know. I remember putting the milk bottles out when I was a kid. Oh, so do I. It's a sad thing that's like gone away in my in my lifetime. Yeah, it's kind of nostalgic, isn't it? But then it's it's back already in small areas. There's pockets of it happening, actually just popping up like crazy everywhere. Um, There's even peanut butter place in Dunedin that does it, Bay Road Peanut Butter. Um, Oh, actually, and a really cool shout out to Plastic Free Pantry on Waiheke Island, which is, that I know of, New Zealand's only zero waste grocery delivery service. They're currently operating this delivery system where they have refillable bring back glass jars instead of plastic packaging. So cool stuff happening there. Um, This is all just inspiration for businesses who care and they're trying to think through how they can be doing things differently. Here's the thing about that that's always got me. Surely it's cheaper as well. So it costs a lot of money to package these things up. If you could go to a refillery or or some equivalent, like a, there was some sort of supermarket distribution, like they have with beer where you bring your flag yeah. in and you can fill it up, and that you could kind of split between yourself and the company the savings in that. And I know that certain industries do it a little bit, but there seems like there's just such an opportunity for wholesale change in that area where you save 50 cents by bringing your own milk uh, container back like as a consumer you yeah get, as yeah, a consumer yeah. and and the company can save a little bit of money and they can pass part of those savings on to you as well like why aren't we it's well, surely better for everyone uh because it doesn't work that way at all unfortunately the it costs more that's why we have gone down this road mm. all of the reuse unfortunately just costs more look at hospitals they used to have the big sterilization units and used to reuse everything and they moved away from that specifically for economic reasons to single use. But the reason why it's economically viable is because all of the sort of externalities aren't factored into the price. That's right. And that waste levy is starting to incorporate those externalities back into the price. Exactly. So as soon as those things actually get counted, you know, in a monetary way for how much damage they're doing to the environment, maybe there will be a bit more of a shift because it won't be cheaper anymore to just buy some absolutely yeah, and the other thing is that consumers are leading a lot of this change as well and so wherever the consumers are that's where your money is so mm. if people want to have a glass bottle that they can take back then businesses will provide the that role you know it's a good example there our mate glenn happy cow hey milk, absolutely with his yeah. incredible portable milking device that milks the cow pasteurizes it and then has a point of sale terminal built oh, into the machine so incredible check what out happy cow episode if you guys haven't caught it yet yeah. already this is just this is just a shout <laughs> yeah, out just a big shout out to <laughs> ourselves um also i did speaking of shout outs i just wanted to mention three good examples of businesses that are um already have some compostable pack home compostable packaging um mm. there is so, a difference and, folks yeah exactly and in some cases still working on the certification but bostock's brothers do you know what you get with them chickens oh, whole chickens cool. um proper crisps which is yeah potato chips and stuff and they're vegan 
Good. Unlike yeah, Bostocks. They, they make, yeah. <laughs> no wonder you didn't know. They make um, vegan salt and vinegar chips. Good on them. A lot of people don't. And trade aid chocolate. All in a home compostable packet. Nice. Yeah. Um, there's also the New Zealand Plastic Packaging Declaration uh, that came out in July 2018, which I actually remember a couple of articles in the um, in stuff and uh, other online stuff at the time where we talked about these big signatories coming on board like Coca-Cola and Unilever and Nestle all promising to use 100% reusable, recyclable or compostable packaging by 2025 or earlier. Yeah, keep your bloody eye on that. Folks. Yeah, we will be. We'll be watching Countdown, Foodstuffs, New Zealand Posts have all joined in. Um, there's also funding available for businesses. So you've got the Waste Minimization Fund and there's the Provincial Growth Fund, both of they're both huge funds of millions of dollars, um, very keen to support waste minimization efforts and infrastructures. And this is kind of a long answer to your question, Tomomi, but it was a you threw it in there with everything. You mentioned specifically supermarkets. Mm. Um, next steps for supermarkets. So if you are listening and you are a if you're a supermarket. If you are a supermarket, have for goodness sakes, have either no bags in your fruit and vegetable and just encourage people to bring their own fruit and vegetable bags. What you could have is the reusable, like a natural material, reusable fruit and vegetable bag for sale in the fruit and vegetable section. So sometimes they're for sale in a completely obscure part of the supermarket. Right. But I would put it right there. Um, of course. And actually look at phasing out the use of those single-use bags, regardless of what they're made of. Like if it's a biodegradable plastic, or uh, it's just complicated. Most people don't actually know what to do with it at the end of life. Um, but at ACT in Aussie, they are looking at actually doing that, phasing out the fruit and veg bags. So we've got a precedent oh, cool. for it. Yeah, which is cool. Wastemans, which is the industry group for the waste sector in New Zealand, have got a good comp compostability guideline um, looking at uh, bioplastics, plastics, and they just talk through what to do and who the certifiers are give you a really good sense of what you should be doing. So that would actually be, that's the take-home message. I would check that resource out. Um, and I can put that in the show notes of where to go. Mm -hmm. um, here's a cool one. So Huckleberry have got, and some of their stores have got like a, basically, you know, the beer chillers at supermarkets and you walk in. Yeah. Um, they've got that for their fruit and vegetable section. So you kind of walk into a chiller and it so they don't have to have all the plastic packaging around everything because it's just oh that's cool it's so cool it's such a yeah a futuristic sort of a approach to it so is that because um what the plastic's doing is sort of and i'm sure a whole bunch of other nasty stuff as well keeping it from perishing yes but the the natural way to do that is just to lower the temperature that it's being yes. stored at yeah yeah makes sense that's why it? with the cucumbers it's only for those long ones that yeah. have the plastic on and the shorter ones don't because they're different varieties and the long ones don't have such a thicker skin and, and so perish they perish faster, in, in whereas the, the shorter tent. one, it, its skin does the same job. Right. Yeah. Um, Man, I never thought of that. 
Funny thing, eh? Apparently, we, should, we probably it... shouldn't be keeping fruit and veg at room temperature. <laughs> like, yeah, it is going to go bad in the supermarket. Yeah, so that's cool stuff. Deli, you encourage people to bring their own containers. Bakery, provide paper bags, please. Always used to be my go-to to grab a paper bag for the bread. It's a good zero-waste solution. But They kind of have to now, don't they? Oh, but it's just they're starting to replace some of those with plastic bags. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's, yes, that's about it. Um, but she did mention what we can do as consumers as well. And so, and again, we've covered this in the recycling app, but just avoid plastics three to seven. If you want to know why, listen to that recycling episode. And the coloured plastics as well, even if they're one or two, including those real stupid light-proof milk bottles. Please buy your milk in clear plastic if you're going to buy milk in plastic. And check out some some of these changes. Some of these I've been talking about supermarkets, assuming that you're not ready to make really big changes in your life. But I encourage you to check out the Rubbish Trips Regional Zero Waste Guides, and they've also got a Zero Waste Spot interactive maps uh, for packaging free solutions. And it actually just might be easier than you think finding retailers that are providing these solutions. Some of it's in supermarkets, some of it's further afield. That will be in our show notes. That is in our show notes. That is. Okay, we've got a question from another Ange. What are the best resources for business to navigate waste packaging and doing the right thing? There is so much greenwashing by people who sell supposedly eco-packaging or disposal systems. Great question, eh? Yeah, Yeah, um, quite easy to answer this. Um, So it's all about certification um, and Wastemans, again, can help with that. Um, They've got a resources section uh, about compostable packaging. Uh, They've got a range of guides, especially a quick guide to environmental claims for plastic products and packaging. And they've also got a list of commercial compost facilities, which is important because if you live in an area without one, then there's not much point in having a compostable packet that you can't compost at home. Um, There's a list of compostable packaging suppliers that Auckland Council has put out. Again, I'll put that in the notes. Um, For hospitality businesses, check out UYO, UYO, Aotearoa Cafe Directory. Um, They've got heaps of resources on how to phase out single-use and disposable plastic items in your hospitality business. Uh, Also consider, we touched on this already, actually unpackaged systems, in other words, reuse systems. Um, Not a lot of resources out there, but why don't you just go along and chat to some of the zero-waste stores in New Zealand that are already doing it? Just have a conversation. Fantastic. uh, Whatever um, field you're in, if you're in, but if you work in an office, if you work whatever, if your business has done something cool or you've found some weird solution specific to your job or your workplace, can you fire it through to us? And maybe we'll share some of those just randomly on, mm, on the cool. episodes as we go along. So just go to facebook.com slash how to save the world and send us a message with maybe something that your workplace has changed recently in a bid to be more sustainable. Brilliant. That'd be great. Um, there's also good consultancies out there that can help you on that journey. Um, two of them have been our wonderful sponsors, our foundational sponsors, All Heart Waste Reduction P- Partnerships and Go Well Consulting. Both of these guys uh, specialise in waste and packaging and really fill that gap for businesses that can't afford a full-time corporate sustainability officer. Um, so definitely worth checking out consultancies in your areas that can go on that journey with you. SBN is another really reputable um, organization that can help you on your journey. That is the Sustainable Business Network. Um, they have a report from 2018 called New Zealand's Plastic Packaging System. And that is really worthwhile checking out if you're a business looking to sort of 
tackle this issue for yourself and what your priorities should be and what your supports can be. And um, they've also got regional advisors. And then, of course, there's the Sustainable Business Council, which is SBC. Uh, and they tend to, I mean, you could check, if you're a business, check out either and see what's a good fit for you. Um, SBC tends to be with larger corporation-sized businesses. SBN's more medium to large. Um, so SBC, the Sustainable Business Council, has also got a resource section with lots lots of guides and reports in it. Awesome. So if Ange is getting in touch with us from a, a big, flaming, successful capitalist company, she can go SBC <laughs> and otherwise SBN, Sustainable Business Network. Gee, I hope they're happy with our broad <laughs> brush. Uh, it's important to have fun on this podcast, Wave. Our final question comes to us from Indigit, who won the uh, Facebook competition, actually. When we yeah, were one of the winners. Soliciting for questions there. She was one of the winners. Government is spending millions in imparting knowledge about sustainability. Do you think our social behaviour will change toward this issue? Ooh. Has the government employed the right and knowledgeable people in these kinds of jobs? Hmm. Big question. I don't know. Gosh. Well, I don't know that last bit. Last bit. I was employed there for a while in that sort of field. So we can say yes. Might be a biased answer. Yeah, I think they're awesome. They're all such wonderful people. Well, then you probably can um, reply with some some Yeah, I can actually talk about certainly my experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But um, I'd actually love to know what prompted this question. Well, we don't have her on the line. No, we don't. No. Yeah, but um, there's, there's, she's, she's right. When I stop to think about it, there are a lot of examples of uh, programs from central and local government. Um, there's EECA, which is that government agency promoting energy efficiency. Um, they do TV ads. Yeah, and, they've had that yeah. guy telling yeah. me to turn my light bulbs off for, for years. As long the as um, Almighty Johnson's guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. like that god of cold stuff. Um, Live Lightly is another one from Auckland Council. Uh, Doc, even we forget, uh, which is the Department of Conservation. Like that's a that is funding for millions of dollars for conservation, which is all about the environment. Um, and then, of course, there's the contestable funds. But actually, I think those that, that's they're quite heartening. Again, it's millions of dollars that the government is putting rather into their own initiatives, backing community groups that are embedded in their various local regions um, that are able to harness volunteer support and local knowledge. So. It's easy to hear millions and think, oh, you know, is this a good idea? But, I mean, the reality is it's a national budget and, you know, we spend millions on defence and, I don't know, roading. Yeah. Millions. But anyway, a lot. Um, and it it all sort of seems to be okay, right? Like, I think, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It is easy to see these big budget numbers and go, oh, oh, oh. But, you know, when it's the a national budget, of, the scale yeah, is a little bit different. Yeah. But in terms of your personal experience working in the field, um, do you do you feel like you were surrounded by people who were the right people for those jobs and thinking about the right sorts of things? Yes, yeah, a really good question. And it made me think, well, firstly, to answer your question, yes, I did feel that. But I think... I don't know, and I don't know if this is where Interjet's coming from or not, but whether or not the, they should be like experts and scientists and like like leaders in their fields, or whether they should be essentially marketers and people who are good communicators. And personally, I feel that 
we want our scientists to be researching and communicating great if they are good communicators, but we need people who are able to take those findings and to create opportunities for people to exactly to hear that information and really connect and engage with it. So I think that, um, yes, we've got the right people in those jobs um, on the whole. I mean, crikey, what a question. I'm sure there's some people who should be perhaps doing other things. But in terms of whether it's successful, uh, uh, you know, she's saying, can we actually create social behaviour change? Yeah, I, do I, you think our social behaviour will change towards yeah, this Yeah, well, for issue? a start, yes, because it is changing. Absolutely. It's huge. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, we can't, you can never pinpoint things. There's just so much happening all at once. But um, Well, the plastic bag ban was big. That has changed behaviour. And that is, I think, like you were saying before, opened everyone's minds to connecting other dots in the supermarket. Mm, mm, that's a, that's mm. a really tangible, I think, Law change that you can attach to, but she's but Indigit's particularly talking about not law changes, but these behaviour campaigns. True, yeah, and I think do you know what really gets me angry? Actually, it was I guess a few years ago before we could see that a few things were genuinely happening because what we need is for the government to legislate, and I was getting so frustrated because all they seem to be doing is run, running these behaviour change programs, and it's like. Change the law. People it's like it you're then. missing. You know, you're so powerful, and mm. you're you're not using your power, and instead you're trying to put it onto us as consumers to change and to try and navigate these systems that just aren't really that well set up. Like, mm-hmm. yes, as a consumer, I see that as my responsibility too, and that's what this podcast is about. But as a government lead, please don't just ask us to change our behaviour. So I think without the government actually using its power in a really positive way to put some great legislation in place, then I would be very frustrated to see only the behaviour change stuff happening. But the fact that they're doing both um, is really positive because, as we know, if the public's not ready for anything, then the legislation falls over. Mm -hmm. Um, So and I guess... I think that the environmental sector is actually behind on the public health sector. And we've seen for decades really good campaigns that have genuinely, we know that there's good research to show that they have changed behaviour around putting seatbelts on, drink driving, drug driving. And we know that they work. And I think that there's a lot to be learned in the environmental sector in that space. Maybe it's because the public health one, it's all about you. It's like save your own life. Yeah, true. (laughs) Improve your quality of your health. Yeah, and I think the budget's been there. It's been recognised for longer that it's a True. real issue. Mm. Well, that's it from me. Thank you so much to all the people who sent our questions, and thank you to Waveney who um, did the research Took and the time. figured out the answers to them. If you have any questions, please get in touch with us. Just post them on the wall there at facebook.com slash world. They don't call the wall anymore. Now it's a feed, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Crazy I kids think. and you're changing social media lingo. I can't keep up. And look how young you are, Tim. How do you think I feel? <laughs> you can't even log in to the website <laughs> anymore. You're just like, how does this damn thing work? Can't even find my computer. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have the time and inclination, we would love it if you could uh, leave us a little review. It helps other people um, discover the show. And I mean, why not flick us five stars? You know? Yeah, why not? It's, it's like painless. An Uber, it's an Uber driver. It costs you nothing. Just help out, would you? Cheers. And share it with a few friends. Get some endorphins. Catch you in the next episode. For now, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.